Let's look at Luke chapter 11 together, starting at verse 1. We'll pray, and then after that, we'll take a look at how Jesus' teaching on prayer can guide us in, and this is the point of this series, our cooperative effort to join together in a season of prayer regarding our future hopes and dreams for what we believe God wants to accomplish in and through the lives of those who consider themselves part of this community of faith called Clarity Church. And just, uh, just, just so you know, if, if uh, you don't believe everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible, or maybe, uh, maybe you're new and you're still kind of checking us out, listen, you're going to hear me say things like this, and I just want to give a disclaimer right now. You're going to hear me say, you should, we should, you need to, we should, and you just need to know. I'm only yelling at the people who say, you're my pastor and Clarity is my church. If that's not you, totally off the hook. You got that? Are we cool? Now, if you call Clarity your church and you consider me to be your pastor, you give me that honor, what I hope to do today is to lovingly encourage us to look forward with, I don't know, positivity and with hope about what God can accomplish as he has accomplished over the years through this community of faith and making disciples as well as us being a community of disciples. So we'll talk about our future hopes and dreams and what we believe that God wants to accomplish in and through the lives of those who consider themselves to be part of this community of faith called Clarity Church. So let's look at Luke chapter 11. It says this in verse 1. He, being Jesus, was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Well, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from the inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Would you join me as I pray? Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your Son not only to die and rise from the dead so that we could have a hope for forgiveness from our sins and a restored relationship with you, but thank you for sending your son to demonstrate and teach us 
what kind of God you are. So as we learn more and more about what kind of God you are through the scriptures, a God who listens to our prayers, I pray that you will give us clarity on the ways we can and should pray. Not only for the things like our daily bread and forgiveness of sins, but for the kind of life you desire us all to engage in and the kind of fruit that you want to see produced through our lives together as the church, the hope of the world. In your name I pray. Amen. So Luke, we went through the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts for over a year. We learned, a lot of us, as we looked through this, Luke, by vocation was what? A doctor. He was a doctor. And doctors don't miss the details. At least they shouldn't, right? Intentional, intentionality, purposefulness is part of a doctor's ethic, right? At least it should be. The last thing you'd want to hear a doctor say while tending a patient is, oh, <laughs> I totally miss that, right? You don't want to hear that. That's something you don't want to hear. Or uh, if someone's lying on the surgery table, you never want to hear a doctor say, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, oops, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, right? That's, that's not what you want to hear from a doctor. Now, Luke was a disciple of Jesus, and as a disciple of Jesus, he probably heard Jesus teach a lot on prayer. In fact, Matthew, another disciple of Jesus, records that one of Jesus' teachings of prayer that we are more and more familiar with, in fact, as I probably read this, some of you were going, that's not how it goes, <laughs> right? Because there was a teaching, and when, uh, an earlier teaching, and when, and when Matthew wrote this account of the life of the teaching of Jesus, a book of the Bible we call now Matthew, here's what it sounds like. It sounds like this, Matthew 6, verse 5 to 6, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Right? That's the part before the part we know, which goes like this, our Father. Lord in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? Right? So this is this little part, this part, this teaching that Matthew uh, records Jesus saying. Now listen, when you read the teachings of Jesus on prayer, here's one of the things that I think you'll catch. You'll catch very clearly. It would seem that the hearts of why you pray should influence the way you pray. The heart of why you pray should influence why you pray and the way you pray. And those who wanted to get credit for being a person of prayer would do it in places to feed their desire to get attention. Oh, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues, right? If your heart is about yourself, then the way you pray, what you do when you pray, will be influenced by the why. People who did not desire a life of prayer, but to be about themselves and about like this expression of, of uh, and, and not about anything about having a communicative relationship with God, they did it in a place that fostered the kind 
of attention, the kind of result that they were looking for. When they prayed, they didn't really want God's kingdom to come. They just wanted the eyes to fall upon them. And Luke just doesn't tell us this. He just doesn't start in this passage of scripture we read in Luke chapter 11. He just doesn't go, one day the disciples randomly ask Jesus how to pray, right? That's not what it says. Look what it says in Luke chapter 11. It says, when he, he was praying in a what? Certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray just as John also taught his disciples. There was this intentionality, I think, that Luke had. That Jesus was praying at a certain place. In other words, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus talked about this idea of don't pray in the public square, but pray in the private sector. Not that praying in public was bad, because Jesus often prayed in public, so that would be duplicitous to say, like, oh, Jesus was teaching. All public prayer is bad. But what he was teaching on is that our heart often leads us to do the things we do publicly, or it specifically when it comes to prayer, why we pray influences directly how we pray. And here Luke, I think, he understands Jesus, and he's trying to communicate this, and he said, look, Jesus is in a certain place. We don't know what the place is. But place is an important component to prayer. Not that specific places are better for prayer than others, but that having a chosen place is just as important as setting aside time to pray. Okay, so uh, why all the hoopla? I wonder, listen, this is where I go from, you know, talking about the scripture to maybe meddling. How many of you feel like sometimes you... If someone was to ask you, like, how's your prayer life, you would automatically answer them in the same way you would answer a stranger who's asking you how your day is going when it hasn't been going that well. You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, your coworker's like, hey, Steve, how's it going? Oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good, man. It's good. Weather's nice, you know, no more bugs, the leaves are falling. Like typical Minnesotans, that's what we say, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's good. Oh, you know, the weather's nice. Like, I asked you, I don't want to know about the weather, I can ask Sven, you know. Um, and I think we kind of do that when you think about our prayer lives. Like if someone were to say, like, how is your prayer life? You'd be like, it's good, it's good, it's good, pray for, I eat sometimes. When I remember, sometimes after the first bite, you know, but, you know, God doesn't judge. <laughs> um, but I wonder if some of us don't have thriving prayer lives. I wonder if some of us feel like prayer isn't something that makes a really big difference in our lives simply because we haven't thought about the intentionality it takes to find a place. Let me ask you, more than how is your prayer life going, how is that place that you've dedicated, that time that you've dedicated to spend time with the Lord? Let me ask you married people, if you did not dedicate time and place to be with the one who you say you love, how happy would your marriage be? Probably not very happy, <laughs> right? 
right? That it's kind of it kind of goes with it. But sometimes we forget that. We forget that. And so I wonder if some of us don't have thriving prayer lives because we've just not taken the intentionality to find a place. This is one of the reasons I love this opportunity of 21 days of prayer. Not only is it an intentionality on our part to pray about something together, but it's actually a really great opportunity for us to build habits together, to pray every single day, to be reminded every single day that we should pray because whether you have 21 days of prayer or not, we should probably be praying every day, right? I, I think so. I, I, I think so. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> But I love this 21 days of prayer because it allows us to strategically and intentionally be people of prayer. And obviously when Jesus prayed, the disciples noticed that something was different, right? So some of you are like, Phil, you're kind of reading in between the lines. You're just kind of, he just said, Jesus was like leaving a certain place, like let it go, let it go. Okay, let it go. Um, here's what a Bible scholar, okay, and, and said, he says this uh, in, in one of his commentary, impressed by something about the way and probably the place Jesus prayed, one of his disciples asked for guidance of the kind John the Baptist had given. Now, remember, the disciples, what kind of ethnic background did they come from? Like, what was their cultural heritage? They were what? Jews, Jewish people. Now, they were most likely raised in Jewish homes. Were Jewish people religious? Yeah, a little bit religious. Uh, and so these men who follow Jesus, yeah, sometimes we, we think of the disciples as buffoons, like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Okay. Well, yeah, here's the church, here's people, and look inside, there's people. <laughs> right? We think like they're bumbling in us. But a lot of these people, they grew up Jewish. Let me tell you, they knew how to pray. They were taught how to pray. They were taught all types of prayers. And so when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, there was something different about the way Jesus prayed than how they were taught to pray. This was not about disciples going, well, I don't know how to pray. They were people of prayer, but they noticed that Jesus prayed in ways that they wanted to learn. And so what does Jesus say to them? When they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Well, verse 2 says, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored and holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day your daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. If you're not a, a Bible study nerd, uh, which I find it's like a lot of people, not really nerds about it, you'll know um, uh, you, you won't know what a lot of Bible study nerds know. Uh, well, or actually when they read this, um, you know, uh, Bible study nerds like think of, of, of all the different things. Like, wait, wait a minute. Um, why is this different here than in Matthew? Anyone think that? Like, like this is a, sounds like the Lord's Prayer, but it really isn't the Lord's Prayer. So who's right, Matthew or Luke? <laughs> uh, what you have to understand is, uh, and this is just a little background. Most scholars actually believe that based on the context, Matthew's account of Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer was separate than Luke's account of teaching what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so when Luke records the disciples saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray, what does Jesus do? He tells them something he's already told them before. Now, um, 
you might find that annoying, but if you're a parent, how many times has your kid said, what do you want me to do? And you just go, didn't I already what? Tell you. I said to. And then oftentimes, what do they say? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have teenagers now, so that's how they all sound. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I coach high school soccer. I'm like, guys, I didn't tell you. Four o'clock, you're supposed to be. I don't know. That's <laughs> all teenagers talk. And so the disciples, I think, I think they're like, oh, look, Jesus is praying. That's awesome. We should ask him how to pray. Well, didn't he teach us how to pray before? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus, how do you pray? And so here's the fantastic thing. Jesus could have taught them anything about prayer. Jesus could have said like, hey, look, I already taught this to you guys. But here's what Jesus does. He took that longer, Matthew 6, and he just simplifies it. And he gives them a synopsis on how to pray, reminding them. And I could even see some of them be like, dude, I told you, it's the same thing you taught before. <laughs> and he launches into a discussion. Here's what's interesting. Unlike Matthew, right after he says how to pray, he launches into a discussion on what to do when God doesn't seem to answer your prayers. And what Jesus says next, we not only find a motivation for why we pray, but he simultaneously makes it clear what kind of prayers are the ones that God listens to and responds to. Verse 5, it says this. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer the door from inside and say, probably what all of you would say to any friend that comes and visits you at midnight. Bro, don't bother me. <laughs> the door's already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. So now, real quick, remember, one of the keys to understanding the scripture is remembering that it's not written, what, to us, but it was written, what, for us. So, Sometimes to really understand the scripture, you have to first pause and go like, what did this mean to the people it was originally written to? Because otherwise, this would seem kind of difficult. Because I know, like maybe if I had a friend come over at midnight, you know, and they were able to text me on my phone silently, so my other kids who have their own individual rooms with doors, right, they wouldn't wake up and like, that'd be rude, Phil, if your friend really needed something, like, you know, well, that's 2021, we don't understand how things, people back in the day, like the idea of you having your own individual room, oh, you must be royalty, your kids have their own, wow, but so what we have here is this, this, is a, uh, this isn't like a groggy-eyed, stumbling forward, half-asleep, answering the front door as we'd imagine today. This guy was literally trying to say loud enough to be heard, but not too loud to be disturbing to his kids who were literally sleeping, probably right beside him. <clears throat> hey, <clears throat> don't bother me. If I wake up and try to go find some bread, everyone else, wake up. Just go away. Go away. Go away. And so this is what the disciples would have understood. And this is what the original readers of Luke's letter would have understood. You can't understand the impact of what Jesus says next if you don't 
understand the context. So we're all kind of on the same page. We get this, right? Okay, I'm laying there. Like, you know, it's kind of like how many of you ever, you have kids and you ever go traveling in the hotel and they're sleeping in the hotel. You know, like, you just can't, like once they go to bed, you're just like, huh, I guess we're going to bed, honey. (laughs) Right? So this is what we're doing. Can you imagine the situation? It's pretty inconvenient. I mean, how many of you with babies and toddlers would just appreciate if I came over and started ringing your doorbell during nap time? Would you love me? No. Okay, see, I finally got something out. Everyone's like, "Mm mm-mm. Okay. Right? This is the situation. And here's what Jesus says next. Check this out. This is really good. Verse 8. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, he is, he is his friend, because he is his friend, okay, there's already a relationship there, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. So Jesus' teaching on prayer. He taught his disciples how to pray, but then he told them there's an aspect on how you pray that you need to listen to because I don't think you understand. And that's why he launches into this little parable, this little story. And what Jesus tells them is that if we're going to have effective prayer lives, if we're going to have the kind of life where what we pray actually makes a difference both here on earth and maybe cosmically in the spiritual realms, right? Because we believe that. We believe that this life we live is not just of flesh and blood, but there are principalities and powers, right? This is why people sometimes think people are, Christians are crazy because we believe it's like more than, but like we believe that. We believe that there's a God in heaven, that there are forces in this world that are trying to kill, steal, and destroy, but we have a, someone who is more than a conqueror, right? Who in fact conquered everything by his death, by his resurrection, right? We believe that? Okay, okay. I just wanted to check your pulse real quick. So we believe that. And Jesus says this. He says, look, if prayer is something you believe in, here is what you need to know. Persistent prayer moves the heart of God. Persistent prayer moves the heart of God. After telling his disciples what should be included in the content of their prayers, you know, tell God he's great. Tell him his kingdom is more important than yours. And, you know, yeah, yeah, go ahead and tell him what you need. And then go ahead and ask God for help with temptations because we all got temptations. After that, Jesus tells them how they should pray. He says, so you prayed, right? Oh, yeah, okay. Do it again. Did you do it again? Yeah, that's what you said, Jesus. I'm like, what would Jesus do? Bracelet. That's what you would do, right? <laughs> do it again. Did you pray again? Yeah. Go again. And again. And pray. Don't stop. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Don't stop. Don't ask. Don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. Why? Because your persistent prayer has the potential to move the heart of God. That's why he says in verse 10, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks. The door will be opened. Now, here's the frustrating part. We often feel like we're the exception to this promise, right? Sometimes it 
doesn't happen, things don't happen the way we thought it would, and, 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 and we think Jesus is going, you know, like, uh, I, I understand your frust- frustration, uh, and, um, but, you know, here, I'll just, I'll just give it to you. Or sometimes we, sometimes things don't happen the way we, we would, but if Jesus were here right now, I think he would say, look, just keep praying. Whatever is it that thing you're praying for, just keep praying. Keep praying, keep praying. Don't give up until you absolutely have to because God is often moved by your persistent prayer. Do you know what I've seen over the years? I've seen so many people pray for things to happen for years and years and years and finally, as they would say in the moment, but in hindsight, would probably tell a different story, but in the moment they say things like, it was at the last minute. God answered our prayers. And so there isn't a formula. God is not a cosmic vending machine that we turn on when we want something from him. But every once in a while, God listens to asking, seeking, and knocking prayers, and God says, yes, Do you know what else happens when we ask, seek, and knock? So many times God does something in us. The seeker, the asker, the knocker. In other words, persistent prayer changes our hearts. Sometimes it is only by persistently praying for the same thing over and over and over that God reveals something he wants to do in us. Some of us might be praying for that son or daughter or spouse or friend to come back to Jesus. And God says, you know what? I want to do something in you so you can be a witness of my grace. And it was only through persistent prayer that God brought that to our attention. And then there are those times where we persistently pray for something that we want God to do. We refuse to give up. And in the process, <laughs> we realize we're praying for the wrong thing. I, uh, how much time do I got? Oh, okay. Uh, I have a great story I tell all the time. So if you've heard it before, forgive me. I grew up in a Pentecostal uh, background, okay, as, as a kid. And uh, I remember one time at church, there was, uh, so if you ever been, if anyone had been a Pentecostal church, like there's these things where they have these like, someone in the middle of the worship service like get up and like say, this saith the Lord, right? And then they'll kind of go on and on and on and on and on. And there was this one guy during the middle of service, he was just going on, he goes, and the Lord said this, and the Lord said that, and the Lord said this, and it was, it was getting to the point where, uh, at least in that culture, if you've never been part of it from the get-go, you might be like, so what's going, what's going on? But if you're part of that culture at first, you're like, okay, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to listen. Yes, Lord. And then there's, you know, as, as one minute became three, as three minutes became five, all of a sudden everyone was like, okay. You can see the ushers like looking at the pastor. The pastor's kind of like, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> kid you not. So, and you have to understand the call. Like so everyone was sitting down and by this time, because people start sitting, <laughs> sitting down, some of you are like, what is this you're talking about? Okay, if you didn't grow up in a Pentecostal, I, I forgive, forgive me. But anyways, so he's standing up, and all of a sudden he goes, he starts talking, and all of a sudden he goes, 
oh crap, I'm in the flesh. And then he sits back down. <laughs> a lot of times we pray for things we, okay, I know that's pretty bad, isn't it? But listen, how many times have you ever prayed for things over and over and over and over again? But in your persistence, realize that that probably wasn't the thing that God wanted in your life. You ever wanted something so bad? And if you think back, if you're old enough, some of you are old enough to have prayed things for a very long time and not gotten it, and now look back and go, you know, God was actually gracious to me. And that's what you need to know, is that sometimes persistent prayer moves the heart of God, but persistent prayer always changes our hearts. All I'm saying is this, if we persistently pray, God will do something. Of course, God may not answer your prayer in the way you want or within the timetable you're demanding, because some of you, including myself, have been demanding of the Lord. But here's one thing I know. Let me say it clearly. God answers prayers. If you pray, God answers prayers. And here's another thing that I've learned over the many, many years of following Jesus and growing in my relationship with God the Father. God is not irritated by our persistent prayer. Some of you go there. Maybe it was a very poor earthly relationship with your earthly parents. And so the idea of coming to an earthly father over and over again for the thing that is on your heart seems disrespectful. And, it just, and maybe there's a brokenness and a baggage around how you pursue your relationship with the Lord because of what has happened in this earth. But you need to know that your earthly father is not a reflection of your earthly parents, but a perfection of what that should be. God the Father is the perfection of what an earthly father should be, not the reflection of of what you've experienced. And so you need to know that God is not irritated by your prayers. On the contrary, he's honored by it. <laughs> Sometimes I, I believe he says, okay. Like my daughter who asks me every time we go to a football game or basketball game, can I have concessions? Can I go get concessions? And a good parent knows that if I give her concessions every single time, it's not good for her. But every once in a while, I'll do what? Sure, go ahead. But listen, every time we commit to the habit of prayer, God does something because Jesus said, if you ask, you're going to receive something. And if you seek, you're going to find something. And if you knock, the door will be opened. The other reason why God is honored by our persistent prayer is that when our heart is in the right place with our prayers, our persistence is basically saying to God, God, you're great. And I believe that what I'm praying for is within your will. And I'm dependent on you to do this because if you don't, it's not going to happen. That's what a persistent prayer looks like. It basically says, God, I need you to do something because if you don't, nothing is going to happen. And listen, when we pray like that, even if 
Our prayer isn't along God's will. I think God looks at the attitude of our hearts, which says, God, you got to do something. You got to show up. I've tried everything I could do. I don't know what to do. All my circumstances are out of my control. You got to show up. And here's how I'd like you to show up, God. But sometimes, even if that's not right, even if that's not according to God's will, here's what I think God does. I think God looks at us and he says, you know what? I see your heart. I see your willingness for me to show up. You might be thinking about it in the wrong way. Yeah, that's a little, <laughs> that's okay. All right. That request is a little bit sus. I think that's a little bit more selfish than it is spiritual, but here you go. I like the way you're asking. You're asking me to show up. You're saying I'm God and that's you're not. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you that I like that, and that I'm here and I'm going to answer your prayers. And here's what we know about being in a season in our life where you're persistently praying, sometimes the thing that we're looking for the most is knowing, is God there? Is God there? And in our persistent prayers, if we are persistent, God shows up every time and he says,